and welcome to another edition of Eight More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. This is Councilman Brandon Cohn. We are recording the show on Friday, March the 30th, and my guest today is Jeff Brown. Jeff is the Assistant Director of the Public Works Department, who is responsible for streets and road operations in the city. It's fair to say that in the city of Louisville, Kentucky, all roads lead to Jeff. Uh, Jeff, uh, Thanks for being on the show. People in every neighborhood, on every street in the entire city uh, are aware of their roads. If they're not sure what else is going on in government and what we do in all these different departments, pe- people are paying attention to the quality of their roads. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what your job is? What do you do? Yeah, yeah. thank you for having me. Uh, our department oversees the maintenance of all the public rights of way, or the metro maintained rights of way. So we look at uh, street and the paving condition. We look at sidewalks. Uh, pavement markings, traffic signs, and the operation of the traffic signals. So paving, sidewalks, stop signs, traffic signals, basically everything where uh, cars and vehicles, but also pedestrians and and, um, and uh, bicyclists are using the roads to get around safely. Yeah, we're definitely a multimodal organization. And can you give us just sort of a sense in terms of, you know, what are the overall quality and conditions of the city's roads. I think that most people always think, well, my street needs to be paved and this side sidewalk needs to be fixed. And, you know, obviously we live in an old city with old infrastructure and whether we're talking about roads or we're talking about sewers or we're talking about any number of things, uh, you know, we're not a brand new Sunbelt city that's only been around for 50 or 60 years. How are we doing in terms of the overall quality and condition of the roads? We're really behind. We've had decades of underfunding, and we've got all the data to support that. I think our current backlog now is about $145 million of paving that just hasn't been done that needs to be done. And slowly but surely, we are catching up thanks to the support of the mayor, Metro Council, who's given us a more than quadrupled our annual paving budget. And so when you say $145 million worth of paving to be done to catch up, can can you tell folks you know how many miles of roads are we talking about in Jefferson County that you all maintain and if if paving to catch up that does that mean restoring every road to perfect pristine brand new condition or what what do you mean exactly well and we've got about 4500 lane miles of roadway that we maintain and to catch up there's always a a natural life cycle to that road so not every road will be perfect at the same time sure. we're always going to have roads that will go to complete potholed mets just because we need to get our money's worth. So what we need to do, though, is get it on a regular rotation so that we are doing the right treatment at the right roads at the right times to make sure that we've got an average overall payment condition that's satisfactory. And so I've tried to educate folks a little bit talking on the show or on my website about you know how paving generally works. We've talked about the pavement condition index, the PCI, how that every segment of road in Jefferson County gets assessed according to some some analytical methodology that I think started in the military or on on airport bases or something where they try to take a look at the quality of roads and they rank them from zero to a hundred or one to a hundred and a 100 road is brand new was paved this morning a zero or a one means you know a, a bomb was dropped on it or it caved in in an earthquake or something and that 55, when a road scores 55, that's when it tells people that tells you all that it's not dangerous to drive on per se, but that's when it really starts to needs to be repaired and restored. Yeah, and it was the Army Corps of Engineers development developed this process. It is the Pavement Condition Index, and we have a uh, consultant that goes out and performs these evaluations. We try to do it 
uh, routinely. So every three years, we're rating the higher classified roads and then every six years on the local roads. And 55 is the point where that rate of degradation uh, accelerates. Mm -hmm. So if we can catch a road at 55 or or definitely before 40, we can make a repair that's a little less expensive than if that the bottom falls out and we lose that road altogether. Right. And so we have, you know, hundreds of road segments in District 8. And you can go online to my website and go to the streets information page and see the PCI for all the roads. You can search for your street in alphabetical order or you can search for your street based on its PCI ranking. And I know that Carlton Terrace, for example, in District 8 was had a PCI of 7. It was the, or one segment of it did, and the other segment was 24 or 30. But taken as a whole, it was sort of in the worst condition of any uh, road in District 8. And so when, when I worked with you last year to try to put together a fiscal year 18 paving plan, naturally what we sort of consider is we take a look at the, at the data. We take a look at the, the numbers and we try to say, well, what are the worst roads or what are the lowest rated roads? Because it makes sense to me that those are the ones that need to be repaired first. First of all, is that is that right thinking that I should be trying to repair the ones that are closest to zero? I mean, I know that we have to take into consideration other things like, you know, economies of scale. If we're, if we're in one neighborhood and we're paving a road that's 15 and the one right next door is a, is a 35, it might make sense to do it just because it's right there, even though there's another road that's a, a 20 across the district. But is, is, generally, is it generally right for people to think and expect, hey, I see that I have a low PCI score, so I should be you know, higher up in line to get my road paved? And it really is a combination. Yeah, worse, because we are catching up, worse first has been the policy and probably will be for the next couple of years. But as we slowly catch up on that backlog, we'll move to a um, combination of both worst first and then finding those that are in that sweet spot between a, a 55 and a 40 PCI because it is less expensive. A, a dollar now would save us $5 down the road, but until we get that backlog of those really poor or beyond poor roads caught up, it'll be worse first. And I, this predated my t- time on the Metro Council, but did, I guess the Metro Council put together a, a an arrangement or a goal where they were going to try to get us all the way caught up by spending on average 20 or $25 million a year of paving. For, was it for 10 years? Was that the projection? And how, how many years ago was that? You know, until we catch up to where we are, where are we on the plan? Yeah, that was, and that plan was developed by Public Works. Uh, I believe it was 2016 when we introduced that. And it did, it projected about 19.5 or 20 million per year to get us to what we uh, set as a goal for uh, our the condition of our roads, and we we thought it would take about ten years to catch that up. And so that was that was twenty sixteen. You said we're only you know twenty eighteen now. We have quite quite a long way to go. Yeah, uh, but we're on target. You would say yes, and we can't predict the PCI, and we can make our best guesstimates on what we think the rate of degradation would be. But until we go out and do that next pavement condition index survey, we won't know for sure whether we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. And you raise a good point. You mentioned that the PCI is only conducted every several years, every few years. And the last one, the data we're looking at now, if people go to my website, that's that's sort of old. It's from 2013 or 15 or... We've conducted two surveys. So the first survey was in 2013, and that covered all of the metro t- maintained roads. Mm-hmm. We did a follow-up survey in 2016, but over 
it was just on those higher classified roads, so the collectors and the arterials. Right, and so obviously, you know, the data is not perfect. You know, one of the things that I've been doing in trying to evaluate what roads we're going to pave next year, for example, is I take a look at the roads with the low PCI scores, but then I also go out and take a look at the streets. I sort of give it the old eye test, and I was surprised to find, for example, that a certain street in my district with a very low PCI, it had a PCI of 14, and... Uh, um, according to the data, is one of the one of the worst roads that we have in District Eight. I walked it, and I thought this doesn't really look bad at all. I mean, in fact, it looks a lot much much nicer than the street that I live on with a higher PCI. Can you explain that, or is it just the, that it's not a perfect system, or you know, I don't want people to think that that just because their PCI is a certain number, that's that automatically means that theirs is getting paved. How, how accurate is the PCI? And it is just a representation or a sample. I mean, we do, we've got 4,500 lane miles of road. So we, we usually take a sample about every 350 or 500 feet, and we use that to uh, predict that PCI or to calculate that PCI. Before we actually go and pave a road, we always go out and do a visual inspection. The PCI just helps for planning purposes. Okay, okay. so you all... You all don't rely on just the spreadsheet. You go out and you kick the tires and take a look at it yourself, which yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, so this year, as compared to last year, one of the things I'm excited about, assuming that you know the budget is all still in flux because of what's going on in Frankfurt and pensions, and you know the budget, the exact numbers is something we're all working on now. But if things are sort of the same as they have been and we spend another $20 million paving this year, my understanding is that one of the policy differences is that we're going to focus more on paving these local roads, these neighborhood streets that most people live on, as opposed to some of the arterials and connectors, which I think maybe in the past we've we've spent some more on that last year. Is that right, or what's the thinking there? Yeah, in, in last, well, the current budget year ordinance, it required that we uh, present a three-year paving plan that put 60% of the paving budget on the local classified roads which i'm which i'm frankly really happy about because in uh, sort of a dense urban neighborhood like the highlands district 8 neighborhoods we have a lot of local roads and they're traversed a lot people use them to cut through and they're in some cases as busy as you know minor arterials and collectors in, in other neighborhoods and so um, i think we're going to get a lot more bang for our buck and a lot more different people serviced where they live this year um uh, so I'm excited about that. One of the things that I, I have worked with you on uh, this past year and, and going forward is that uh, we don't take good enough care of our alleys, in my opinion, because alleys are roads too. Um, they're, they're special roads, but we in the past we have not conducted the PCI on alleys. Is that right, that we don't really have a comprehensive set of data that says, here's all the alleys in the city, and if we needed to repair them, here's something that we can use to try to prioritize that? Yeah, we really don't have a good inventory. I don't even know what exists out there. We've got a pretty good idea, but not only do we not have the payment condition index, we don't even know which ones actually exist today. But we are working to get that funded in the next budget so that we can have that data going forward. That's still on track, right? Yes. And that having that alley inventory will help us implement various other projects, such as the... Uh, 
uh, the vehicle tracking or uh, vehicle routing that we can, can use for solid waste to help make their routes more efficient. When you say that we have 4,500 lane miles, that does not include the alleys, does it? Correct. Do you have any? Do you know the number and how how extensive our alley network is? Uh, we were thinking it's between 120 and 140 miles of alleys just wow. within the old urban services district. Wow. And so, do you expect that going forward, when we put our paving budget together? that alleys will just sort of be lumped in with all the other roads and paid for with that $20 million? Or do you expect that the data is going to say, hey, look, we have a serious alleys problem and we're going to need a separate fund- funded plan for that? Well, and it gets tricky with alley funding. Some of the federal and state funds we use to pave roads uh, may not be uh, could not be used on the alleys because of uh, the road classification. Gotcha. So we might have to look at alternatives to fund that alley maintenance. Gotcha. I mean, I don't know a lot about transportation funding, but I have learned that it's pretty complicated. It involves all the different layers of government, the different levels of government. And so, I mean, my first reaction is that's sort of disappointing to hear that because, you know, in a lot of sense, again, alleys are roads too, and they serve all sorts of um, wonderful purposes and functions. Um, so... Well, in, in any case, I look forward to continue working on that with you all. And I know that a lot of people in District 8 um, want to maximize the sort of utility and the quality and the cleanliness of alleys because not only is that what lets us, you know, do garbage and recycling along the Bartstown-Baxter corridor, you know, the way to access most of the parking that are behind businesses is via the alleys. And if the alleys are in awful condition and have huge potholes and they aren't lit and they're dirty and they're overgrown, then, you know, people are discouraged from parking there and they don't feel safe. So, um, whatever, whatever I can do to be an alley champion for you as we, in public works works on this, I hope you, I hope you'll keep me in mind. Well, and there's also the historical preservation aspect that a lot of these old brick alleys we have to restore in brick, which drives that cost up. So the dollars may not stretch as far, but we work on that alley now. We may not be back out there for 50, 75 years. Yeah, well, well it'd, be, it'd, be good to, it'd be good to have a really comprehensive uh, inventory of what alleys there are and which ones are the worst. Because, you know, without any real sort of evaluation that's objective, I think everybody thinks that they have the, the worst alley in the city. Um, sidewalks is sort of the, um, the cousin to roads and paving in terms of the way that I think about our infrastructure. And uh, you oversee our our sidewalk construction and repair operation as well. That's right. Yes. <sighs> Sidewalks are really really expensive to build new. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean that was that's been my experience. You know, one of the things we're concerned about in the Highlands area is speeding on streets and uh, people that fly through neighborhoods. That's another consistent. A problem that's reported by people that people cut through their streets and they fly through their streets and they're unsafe to walk on the streets in some cases because of the vehicle traffic. And so we've tried to take a look at a variety of different things to work on that, whether it's doing this big speed hump survey that we conducted last year with uh, Greg Dow in your shop and speed, speed humps under you. Or yes. is that, okay. And to try to figure out what streets want those and are eligible for those. You and I have talked about getting some of those flashing driver feedback signs like exist over on Willis Avenue and St. Matthews near Seneca Park to try to slow people down and and in all sorts of different ways to try to uh, attack the speeding problem. But um, I remember looking at sidewalks as one possible solution for, if not stopping speeding, separating pedestrians from, from the roadway. Because right now a lot of people live on a the street, they have to walk you know, on the side of the road or in the grass. 
And if I remember correctly, Steve Krauski, a guy who's in your shop, also a great guy that helps us price and work on a lot of these projects, determined that the cost of a new construction of sidewalk on one side of the street on Valletta Lane connecting Woodbourne Avenue and Park Boundary Road, if people can picture that uh, street, was something like $300,000. And um, I try to remind people that the little bits of discretionary money that city council people are allocated in a typical budget year is 100000 and we can get $50,000 of, of match money, so about $150,000. It would take me two years of total and complete funding just to build that one stretch of sidewalk. And um, when you look at the gaps in the sidewalk network, it, without you know, having any real math to work on, it seems like we have an equally large sidewalk problem. It's just sort of like the backlog in paving. If we really wanted to fill in all the gaps and make sure that sidewalks existed everywhere, um, is that, do, you, do you have numbers about that or feelings about you know, where that lies in sort of our transportation priorities? Yeah, and that's absolutely. Uh, that sidewalks are an important aspect of our overall street network. And uh, right now we are wrapping up a comprehensive sidewalk inventory on all the metro maintained roads. So that inventory will tell us where the sidewalks are and where they're not, the sidewalk width, and more importantly, the condition of that sidewalk. So, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but sort of like a PCI for the sidewalks. And we, there had never been one of those in the past, just like there had never been one for alleys, but we put, I think, $400,000 in the city budget last year to let you all do that. Yeah, and, okay. you know, up until 2012, it was the abutting property owner that was responsible for the condition of their sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And the Metro Council struck that from the ordinance, and Public Works assumed responsibility. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry, I interrupted you. So you were saying that you are now in the process of collecting the data. And so do you know when you're going to get it back and what it's going to tell you? Yeah, I, th- I think they've wrapped up all the data gathering now. So we're just into quality control and seeing how all, everything looks. And so sidewalk repair is not nearly as costly. There's lots of, you know, we have a pretty good sidewalk network in District 8, all things considered, because we're an old city and we were built with nice sidewalks. A lot of the problems are from where the sidewalks have been damaged over the year, or the tree roots have buckled them, or there's what's called a displacement, where, you know, there's sort of a gap or there's a lip and there's a, kind of a tripping hazard. And you all are able to go out and either you know, replace a slab of sidewalk or a stretch of sidewalk or to grind it down and repair it at a fairly moderate cost, I think, and without too much trouble compared to the new construction. Is that right? Well, sidewalk replacement is a little less expensive than new sidewalk, mm-hmm. but it's it's comparable. But that the sidewalk grinding, that is certainly an economical way to improve the condition of that sidewalk and make it more accessible. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we get this, this sidewalk data back later this year, it's only for existing sidewalk, obviously. It's only going to tell you which ones need to be repaired. It's not a sort of a comprehensive analysis of here are the gaps in the network. Here's where there is no sidewalk and we need to construct sidewalk. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we have an inventory on the arterial and collector roads that was gathered in our 2016 pavement condition survey. So we've got a good idea where we lack sidewalks on the, the higher classified roads. Now this will close that gap for the local roads. Okay. And just for people that don't really understand the difference, when you say the arterials or collectors or whatever the different classified roads are, in the highlands, you might think of something like Norris Place, which is a... 
collector. Which is a collector. So it's something that has a little bit more traffic than, say, Rosewood Avenue, where I live. Sort of a, a closed-off uh, local street or neighborhood street. Is What's the right classification? Yeah, local. A local yes. street. And so the idea is that if we're going to build new sidewalks, even if a street like Valletta, which is a local street, uh, could use sidewalks if there are missing gaps on a street like Norris instead. It makes sense to put the priority on Norris because that's where more people walk. Is that yeah, right? We would work from those higher classified roads black back to somebody's front door. Yeah. And so in the in the last city budget, I talked about the my sort of inability to build new sidewalks because of the little bit of discretionary discretionary money I have. But if I'm right, we put twenty million dollars towards paving, but there was not actually any money in the city last year budgeted it in the in the great big budget for new sidewalk construction. No no money for new sidewalk construction other than the identified capital projects that might have had partial funding from the state or federal government. Yeah, and so is that this was my first budget year. Is that typical? Have in the past has there been million dollar allocations for new sidewalk construction or is there a a long-term plan to build out that network or sidewalks just sort of taking a backseat policy-wise for some reason? We have plans. It was just maybe wasn't saw as a higher priority when we had this backlog of uh, existing sidewalks and paving that weren't up to par. And that's, they've thought, well, before I knew, let's get caught up on what's already existing. Right. I mean, we obviously have to do both eventually. Yes. Um, well, let me let me turn to a couple of projects that are District 8 specific. And again, I recognize that you have 26 districts and dozens, hundreds of projects that you need to try to keep in mind to understand what's going on with the status of them. But there are a few sort of high profile, higher profile projects locally in District 8 that I'm excited about. One, and, and they all sort of connect to each other, which I think is interesting, which is, which is interesting. There's the Castlewood Barrett project, which, um, do, you, do you want to talk a little bit about that, or should I explain it? Can you can you talk a little bit about that? I know yeah. that Rolf Isinger is really the the mastermind and project manager for it, but I know you're you're, you're overseeing that as well. Yeah, I, I love the bicycle projects, and uh, I know first in Brook were a couple of my first experiences, and then we moved over to Kentucky and Breckenridge, where we do the reconfiguration and either find uh, real estate within that existing pavement width to add bike lanes, or we reconfigure the road, eliminate a driving lane to add that. So uh, Barrett and Castlewood's a great one in that there's a lot of extra pavement out there. And what that extra pavement does is just increase travel speed. So by taking some of that pavement width, allocating it to bicycles, using either pane and post or some kind of vertical difference, we can uh, make the cyclist feel more comfortable and uh, reduce speeding on a lot of those routes. So that's mm-hmm. that's the plan with Barrett and Castlewood. So Castlewood will be reconfigured. It'll still be one lane in each direction and then a buffered bike lane. And then we'll do a multi-use path along Barrett to go from Castlewood to Winter. Where currently a lot of people are sort of familiar of walking in that goat path, that green, that sort of green space along the edge of the cemetery. You see yeah. people walking there all the time and it's unsafe. So this will create a much safer uh way for people to walk from, let's say, or, or bike, or walk from Tyler Park uh, down Castlewood around the corner all the way up to the Barrett Avenue sort of commercial corridor. Yeah, and hopefully in the future we can extend that from winter on Barrett from winter on to Broadway, and that'll get you to both the Kentucky and Breckenridge bike lanes that get you in uh, further west downtown. Okay, that's really interesting. I, I was going to ask about, I was going to ask about uh, Barrett Avenue, what is that, north of Winter, because currently the, the Castlewood Barrett project we're talking about 
stops at winter. Now, it's not just the bike shared use path. It also includes, I think, adding a dedicated left turn lane at at the intersection of Winter Oak Grinstead. I, I sort of lose track of what the road is called there. But to me, that's a pretty significant improvement because I think a lot of times people are are stuck there when someone's trying to, to make a left in front of them and it clogs up traffic and causes all sorts of problems. Yeah, that's had the old peak hour left turn restriction signs that we didn't have very good compliance. So in, instead of enforcing compliance, we thought it'd be safer just to add the dedicated left turn lane, keep traffic moving, improve safety. And and it's been probably about a year since we went through the public meeting aspect of this when the plan was unveiled. I know you all, with all these plans, you do a lot of work ahead of time before you say, hey, public, here's a project we're working on. What do you think? And get feedback. And it's been tweaked several times. And do you have any sense of the timeline for when we can expect ground to break on this? Sure. Well, and that got to be a labor-intensive design just because of that Barrett-Castlewood intersection. The Mm -hmm. way that signal operates, there's really two signals there because you've got a few different approaches. But we advertised that for construction. We have bids in. We made our recommendation for award. So if it's not awarded today, it should be next week. Oh, wow. So we can look at scheduling construction for spring. Okay, that's great. Um, And... um, uh, let's see, Winter Avenue itself. So the stretch of what is between Grinstead and Oak, the same very interesting road that actually connects all the way from Stilts Avenue all the way in, deep into West Louisville, and to me is a really excellent east-west sort of travel th- th- uh, travel connector. Winter Avenue right there uh, is also set to be paved. It, it had been on last year's paving plan, and it is just it was waiting for a maybe a water company project or something else to be finished before we did that. Is that is that yes, what something? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you and I had talked about how if you are coming from Barrett Avenue, uh, going on Winter towards Baxter Avenue, there's a stoplight there and it sort of curves around really sharp and it's tight area there and I feel like it's sort of dangerous for people on the sidewalk. We talked about trying to bump out the sidewalk some between Baxter and maybe the alley there to make that a, a, a safer uh, sidewalk situation in in combination with the paving. That's something you think that we are still going to be able to do at the same time? Now, I we plan on reconfiguring that intersection. Right now it's two lanes in each direction where we'll add that dedicated left turn lane. So it'll only be three lanes. So that will give us the additional area we would need to expand that sidewalk in the future. Okay. And so winter, same thing. We expect that to be paved, you know, sometime before it gets cold again. The spring, the summer. We we had to we we let people know a couple weeks ago that you know, because the water company works on a calendar, January calendar year, and we work on a July fiscal year, we'd learned at the last sort of a late notice that they had to do some extra work in some areas where we were going to pave, and that's going to push our paving back a couple of months, but that, you know, by the end of the spring and the summer, everything that we had lined up is going to get paved after all. And so there's no reason that either winter or Castlewood shouldn't be done by the time it gets cold again, right? No. And we're hoping to do it all at the same time. Okay, great. Um, Bardstown Road is obviously, in Baxter, obviously sort of the dominant commercial corridor in the Highlands. Taylorsville Road, another one. Um, and what they have in common is that they're state roads. And so, um, can you talk just a little bit for people to understand the difference between the state roads, the city roads, what sort of jurisdiction we have over the state roads, how we deal with them, do we pave them, do we clean them, do we, 
that, that kind of a thing. And we have an agreement with the state where we provide some routine maintenance on those state roads. So we do pothole patching, some cleaning. We maintain and operate all of the traffic signals on the state roads. We also provide some engineering guidance, too. So if there's changes we think we need to be implemented at a state intersection, we'll rec- make a recommendation to them and for a, a final decision. But in terms of something like paving Taylorsville Road, do you have any say in that whatsoever? Or are you, you, you that's on the state's list and they just sort of, excuse me, let you know when they're going to do it? Yeah, the, the state has their own list in, in the way they prioritize projects because they have you know, over 120 counties that they have to take care of. and Sure. Yeah. And so um, I, I, I understand that we could enter in some kind of agreements with the state if we wanted to, to take certain responsibilities for some of their assets. If we could, do you think it would be a good idea for the city to say, well, hey, look, we'll just take care of these state roads. You guys will work out a deal. You guys pay us X amount or let us pay you less or something. We'll just handle the state roads so that the state roads in the city of Louisville are, are kept up according to our standards. Or do you think the situation now is, is works well? Having a certain level of control over those state roads could be a good thing. It would allow us to be more responsive as complaints come in. But without the funding, we'd be taking on more liability than we could right. accommodate. Well, yeah, sure. And that's what we're trying to avoid. Right. Um, what about what about um, parking and transit and some of those other things that actually happen on roads? Is that beyond your purview in the Public Works Department? You know, Park, TARC, KIPTA, the Kentucky Transportation Department, all these different players that we mentioned that are in sort of the roads and transportation space. How do you where do where do you fit into all that? Well, we work closely with all of them, so we're all constantly coordinating with TARC if they need assistance in relocating a stop or uh, making provisions for pedestrians to access a TARC stop, and then we also work with the parking authority, making sure that. Every new meter that goes in is in a safe place and meets all the standards or even making recommendations to relocate meters or finding new places. And then with the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet and KIPTA, yes, yeah, so because a majority of our capital projects are funded through the state, we're always coordinating closely with them. We had a... Um... We had a episode of the podcast with J.C. Stites and Tyler Allen, two guys that live in District 8 who are sort of most well-known in the transportation space for their 8664 advocacy efforts several years ago. And we talked about the state of transportation in the Highlands and transit and parking and all sorts of those things. Um, you know, whether it's your direct responsibility or not, or you can control it or not, do you sort of have a vision? I know you, you live in old Louisville, right? So you're yeah. a city guy. Do you have a vision for what the transit uh, network should look like in the Highlands? You obviously, if you don't remember it because you're a young guy, you obviously know there was a streetcar line. You sort of have some sense of the way things are laid out. You know how things work today. What just sort of your overall views about that? I think the bus rapid transit that's being introduced on Dixie Highway is a huge leap forward. And we just now have the technology to make it practical. Uh, the... And can you talk, just for a moment for anyone who might not know what that is, talk about talk about bu- what bus rapid transit is and the Dix- Dixie Highway project. Sure, the, the buses will be able to communicate directly with each traffic signal. So if it if that traffic signal knows a bus is approaching and it's equipped with one of the transponders, it can allow a little additional green time to move that uh, bus through the intersection and get you downtown faster. Not 
necessarily an express bus because it will make all the stops, but by accommodating it through its uh, dedicated lane or making those changes to the signal timing, we can move that uh, bus through there a little bit quicker than than we did before. And so it's, I mean, it's what is 10 or 12 mile project, something from far Southwest Jefferson County all the way into where, where it hits Broadway. Is that right? Yes. And then hopefully going from Broadway to ninth street and into downtown with the next phase. Let's see from Broadway into, into ninth street and downtown. And then perhaps eventually continuing East down Broadway and up, up to the Highlands. Is sure. that the thought? Yeah. Uh, Shelbyville road, Barstown road, Hurstbourne are all prime candidates for the bus rapid transit. Okay. And I mean, realistically, we're talking about 20 years before that's fully built out. Mm, yes. I mean, it would never happen overnight just because of you've course. got to have new buses, new equipment to operate all the signals, the fiber optic backbone to, to make it all interconnected. So it's, it's a long-term project. Mm-hmm. What, what about, um, the issue of pedestrian and bicyclist safety in the Highlands. Um, that's something that I'm obviously very concerned about. It's a congested area. It's sort of a funny road. I believe the area between Broadway and Highland Avenue there, sort of where the Little Bars district is, has is the highest amount of crashes in the whole state of Kentucky. Um, and so we want to do everything we can to reduce speeding and traffic conflicts and make sure that people can walk and bike around the highlands safely um is speed the number one issue and problem there or is there other sort of transportation engineering and and improvements that we need to be looking at in order to make sure that we have a safe environment for people to move around and speed is definitely a factor just in the severity of the crashes so if you do have a collision with a cyclist or a pedestrian speed will dictate how severe that is but some of it too is just making accommodations for pedestrians where they want to use it you know like the section of, of Baxter between Broadway and Highland there's just really no controlled crossings if you want to go from one side of the street to the other so you've got people crossing wherever they park and and that's where I what I think leads to a lot of those collisions yeah and I mean I you're you're mentioning there's not not crosswalks there very sort of basic in my mind, sort of basic, simple improvements, if you put them at the right place, it's just paint on the ground. Um, now's probably as good a time as ever to remind anyone that's listening that we conducted the big Bard, Baxter Avenue, Bardstown Road safety corridor study earlier this year. Uh, where we, it was a $90,000 study that I helped fund in the budget. QK4 was our third-party transportation consultant. And for months now, you know, they had a big public hearing in November where they invited people to come talk about Bardstown Road, Baxter Avenue, some of their problems, some possible solutions. These guys have sort of been back in the laboratory feverishly working on potential solutions for months now, talking to KYTC, to Park, to TARC, to all the stakeholders, and trying to present some new proposals for perhaps some some significant changes to Bardstown Road between Broadway and Interstate 264 in an effort to... Um, make it sa- slower and safer. I guess my first question is, h- how involved have you been in this project? I know you've obviously been copied on emails and kept abreast to it, but I can't remember if I've seen you at all the meetings that I've been to. And uh, what do you think about a challenge like taking a look at Bardstown Road? And you know, it hasn't been done for a long time, and it's a it's a clearly a, a beast t- to tackle. Yeah, and that it had been relied on so heavily, especially before the interstate. So that was your main route in and out of downtown. So it was absolutely uh, 
designed to carry traffic. But now that we have, especially with reconfiguration of Spaghetti Junction, there's alternatives. So I think there's some definitely improvements that can be done. And some of these improvements may save us money in the long run with some of the changes I think are being proposed. And <laughs> we've certainly been involved because we do operate all of those signals uh, along that Baxter and Barstown Road corridor. So we want to make sure that whatever is proposed that we can safely accommodate pedestrians, cyclists, transit, and then the traffic. Yeah, and so the meeting is going to be on, I think it's a Thursday night, April the 19th at 6 p.m. at Highland Community Ministries, which is there on Barrett Avenue near the corner of Barrett and Breckenridge. It's where we had the November 7th meeting. It should be really exciting. I have already seen the sneak preview of what this proposal is going to be in terms of making some changes to Bardstown Road. Interestingly, this has already been you know sort of vetted. It's been discussed with the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet, with our uh, Director of Transportation, John Callahan, who's another guy that you work with very closely, someone who has some uh, expertise in transportation financing. We had a lot of public feedback. We had, I think, 500 or 600 people go online to fill out a survey, which is a lot for that kind of a thing. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see what people think about, um, you know, the opportunity to really make Bardstown Road less of a commuter highway and more of a neighborhood-oriented commercial corridor. I wrote about this in my newsletter. I said, here's a spoiler alert. We're not, we're not going to put bike lanes on Bardstown Road. But um, there are a number of different changes that are being proposed, everything from improving crosswalks, like you mentioned, simple things, to some other uh, reallocations of the space that I think people are going to find interesting. So we're not going to talk about that now. Eventually, it'll all be online. People can see it, but I encourage them again people again to come to uh, to the meeting on the 19th at Highland Community Ministries at 6 o'clock. So um, what about, um, what else is going on citywide? Let me just zoom out for a moment in terms of major transportation projects that are taking up a majority of your time or that you think are particularly interesting or, you know, maybe pilot projects that if successful could be applied in the Highlands area sometime later? I know you've got a lot on your plate and a lot of it is maintenance and just making things are in good working order, but are there any kind of exciting things you're working on? Well, because we're getting ready to to gear up for the FY19 budget year, we're preparing our three-year paving plan to present to Metro Council with 60% of the funding going to local roads. So it's a long list of roads and I'm excited to share that with everyone. Um, we've had our, the West End Quiet Zone project, which isn't in your district, but that's been a project that's going on a little over 20 years now. And this is out near the Wilson and Cypress intersection. There's a corridor with a series of train crossings that had never been gated. A few years ago, state made funds available to gate those crossings. And in doing so, uh, what I'm hoping will happen is we will qualify as a quiet zone. Now, this train horn blows uh, not more than 50 feet from the nearest residential houses and it's a wow. series of crossings and so it's a constant and it certainly was a quality of life issue and i'm excited to wrap that up and councilwoman rural ridge was instrumental in making that happen that's a big one on my plate hmm. uh as far as district eight yeah castlewood obviously is at the top of the list excited to get that one done and then can't wait to see what comes out of the barstown road study because i'm sure we'll be involved when it comes time to put paint on the ground or make whatever operational changes need to be made. Yeah, you mentioned um, the traffic syncing and signalization, the signalization synchronization or whatever the right term is. And I remember that you all did a project 
on Shelbyville Road many years ago where you tried to improve the timing of stoplights so there was less less start-stop and more efficient flow of traffic. And I understand that's part of the Dixie do-over on Dixie Highway now. Has that been done on Baxter and Bardstown Road yet, let's say, between you know Broadway or and... 264 are those I know that they're you all obviously manage them so that they function properly but is there sort of a higher level of optimization with new technology or whatever that you all can do that can make the traffic flow better yeah there's uh, different methods of detection we can apply to a signal so it can detect if a queue is longer than it should be and then allocate more green time but there's always trade-offs. If you're favoring that main line like Barstown Road, there's always going to be a sacrifice. You're going to get a little longer delay on Eastern Parkway or Douglas or some of the side streets. Right. They're, they're interdependent systems, and you can't sort of have an effect on one without an equal and opposite Yeah, effect. it's a zero-sum game, so someone's always going to pay. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. But the, the only reason it hasn't been done yet is because it's a it's a— financing issue right we have to have new money for new technology or something like that or else you all would do this on all the major corridors i'm sure you intend to eventually yeah now barstown road does run different plans depending on the time of the day so with the technology we have we do the best we can to move the traffic in the direction that it's going because there are uh, definitely peak hour directions on a road like barstown road a couple other sort of roads and traffic issues that people talk to me about or complain about is and i'm just you probably have nothing to do with any of these Parking, obviously uh, an issue for a lot of people in the Highlands. People don't like that motorcycles make so much noise and that go so fast, and people are concerned with speeding, and everyone wants to know what kind of enforcement can be done. Can you put up cameras to capture people that blow through red lights like they have in other cities or to automatically send somebody a speeding ticket when they go fast without having to have police officers using their time to do that or you know, whatever, capture motorcycles and send them tickets to do that kind of stuff. Are those things that we could do or we do anywhere or that are just beyond your sort of responsibility and uh, purview at, in your area at Public Works? Now, photo enforcement would have taken legislation at the state level. Okay, and, so we can't, we can't do that now. No. And that's, I know the former Councilwoman Ward Pugh was, was advocating hard for that because it certainly would improve safety because red light running has been and probably will be for a while an issue and photo enforcement enforcement was a good solution but it would take something from the state to make it happen that's good to know maybe that's something we can work on i know we have the technology we use it on the bridges or something similar to it and it seems to me a better use of police officers time than holding a radar gun that they could be out doing other things walking the streets and whatnot um, we're getting close to running out of time um, i know that um I know that people in the district, like I said, really care about their roads, their sidewalks. It's probably their experience of city government in, in action uh, more than anything else. You know, they're reminded every time they hit a pothole or, 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 or experience bumpy streets or whatever like that. Do you have any final recommendations for people in terms of wanting to get educated and how this all works and what they can do to really understand things, um, you know, so that they know what's going on, some resource? Yeah, and uh, I believe it was last year, we prepared our pavement management program, and it outlines who's responsible for what, because we have our operation crews that will go out and seal cracks, patch potholes, make small-scale repairs, and that's just to preserve the pavement that's out there. And then we have our engineering group that goes out and does the uh, milling and overlay. So that's the the larger scale repaving projects like Carrollton Trace. Uh And that program's online. and if they see a problem, report it. 
go to MetroCall because we don't have eyes everywhere all the time. We really rely on residents to let us know where some of these deficiencies are. Because if we don't know it's there, we can't plan an improvement. Mm -hmm. But as a sort of a takeaway, looking forward, we are going to have effective this year and calendar year, fiscal year 2019, we're going to have more and better data about our alleys, about our sidewalks. We're going to have more resources dedicated to paving local streets. Uh, we still might have some way to go in terms of a plan and resources for new sidewalk construction, but overall, the kinds of things that we're focusing on should really have a positive effect for urban neighborhoods like the Highlands. Yeah, fix it first. That was the big takeaway from Move Louisville is fix it first, and that's what we've been concentrating on. Awesome. Well, Jeff, I won't take too much more of your time on this Friday. We want to let you go and have a good afternoon. We appreciate you being on the show, and uh, we'll have you back again sometime. Yeah, thank you for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening to 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. I'm Councilman Brandon Cohn. Please stay in touch with our office. Visit our website at www.tinyurl.com slash cmconed8. And once you're there, please subscribe and stay informed to receive our biweekly e-newsletter.